So tonight you have to put your thinking caps on a little bit at the start as we look at this passage. Let me read it to you. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection, that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but, but I press on, so that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And uh, so there's going to be a question we'll have to answer right at the start in your notes. Number one, what is Paul striving for? What was the goal that he is talking about? And so this passage is one of uh, intense longing, uh, working for, pressing towards, and the question is, what is that that he's wanting, pressing towards? And so I'll jump down into the middle, and there's some words that are highlighted in red. He said, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So the question, isn't Paul saved? I mean, he's writing the book of Philippians. He's already written a number of books. He's planted dozens of churches. He said, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained it. Sounds to me like he's saying, I'm not saved yet. But he has to be because he's the Apostle Paul and he's already had a tour in heaven. In order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I'm not there yet. So what is it that he's wanting to lay hold of, that he's pressing towards? Initial reading, it appears like we're talking about salvation because he uses the word resurrection. Number two, he notes, the Greek word for resurrection is different here than the normal word. So I'd give you a detailed Greek lesson, but it would take too long, and I don't have a whiteboard to write words on, so I'll just communicate it to you. There's one word that means resurrection used 95% of the time in the New Testament. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter, and so it talks about being raised from the dead, etc. That word is used. This particular word is only used uh, a handful of times in the New Testament, and uh, in your notes... The Greek word for resurrection is different. It literally means extra resurrection, above resurrection, or super resurrection. Now, Bill should like that one because he likes super. This is not just normal resurrection. This is super resurrection. 
Uh, you're going to get raised from the dead, but you're really going to get raised from the dead. And so he says, in order that I may attain to the resurrection, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, pressing forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize. And so the word prize is synonymous with resurrection. He's talking about the same thing, the resurrection and the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In your notes, number three, the Greek word for the prize is used twice in the New Testament. Here and in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Uh, so he says, I'm pressing on towards the resurrection and for this prize, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, only one receives the prize? That's the prize that he's pressing on towards. Run in such a way that you may win. Now, you know that we're not working our way to heaven. So he's not talking about getting into heaven. Uh, run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games, they had games like the Olympics back then, exercises self-control in all things in every detail of their life. They do this to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable, an imperishable wreath or a prize. And we're running the race. We're working hard to win it. Uh, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I discipline my body, make it my slave, so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. The prize. What's the prize? Um, so Paul is striving for the prize with a great deal of effort. And uh, the intensity of this passage suggests that we ought to be striving for the same prize. Number four, Paul was very clear in all of his writings that salvation, redemption, entrance into eternal life in heaven is free. You don't have to strive for it. If you believe the gospel, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, uh, you're going to be raised from the dead and get a glorified body. And no... Uh, work required. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift, as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So the free gift of salvation. Uh, and so because I've trusted Christ, I'm going to be raised from the dead because of that free gift. Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the prize is not salvation. Number five, Paul is talking about the judgment seat of Christ and the rewards or loss of rewards that we will receive. So that passage is a key passage about the judgment seat of Christ, the rewards we receive after death from Jesus. Now, as you study this topic in the Bible, it's intended to be very motivational as we live the Christian life. So the the problem, I'm saved. I didn't have to work for it. I don't have to do anything for it. I don't have to go anywhere for it. I don't have to give anything for it. It's a free gift, neither earned nor deserved, paid for by Jesus totally and completely. I'm headed for heaven. So why be good? Why preach? Why don't I just go fish? 
Why read my Bible? Why spend time praying? There's a lot of Christians who ask that same question. They don't ask it sort of consciously, but subconsciously they're, they're not really motivated. It's like, eh. They don't do that much because why? What's the motivation? Heaven's a free gift, neither earned nor deserved. And so they don't really say it that crassly, but that's there. And there's a whole lot of lukewarm, apathetic Christians running around our world today. In fact, there's a few in our church. None of you, you're the exception. Oh, I thought you were going to say you're one of the... <laughs> so, okay, all right, good. I'm glad you were clarified that. <clears throat> BMW with the lights on. Okay. So let me read some verses about the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must, must, no option, that's an absolute we, that's you and I, every believer must appear before the judgment, judgment, uh, judgment, that means we'll be judged, the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed, recompensed. My son-in-law, my son-in-law, my grandson came and worked at my house the other day, and before uh, he started working, we did a little bargaining on price, what he was charging me. I said, so how much shall I pay an hour? A dollar? I could tell by the look on his face he thought that was a little cheap. You want more? Okay, how about $100 an hour? Oh, yeah, no, you don't pay that many. So somewhere in between, okay, let's figure out. So we finally arrived at a, a price. In fact, I think what I said is let's wait until the work is done and we'll see how you worked. If you worked really hard, Bill, we'll make it accordingly. And so there was an hour, a dollar amount per hour, and he told me the hours he worked, and I paid him. That was his recompense. His recompense. Uh, we will be recompensed for our deeds, our work in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So we're not talking here in that verse about salvation, that is getting into heaven. You're there because you are a believer. Only believers will stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, and then you're going to be recompensed. You're going to be paid for what you've done in this life. Now, what you are paid is worth it. And it is intended by God to motivate us to sacrificial living. It's intended by God to motivate us to be, be being hot, full of passion all of the time because we see the end of the race and we know what we're working for. Matthew 16, 27, the Son of God is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels and will then repay, repay every man according to his deeds. Repay means the sense of everything that you have given, you will get back. And in fact, Jesus told Peter, you'll get everything back that you've given a hundredfold. If you haven't given anything, though, you won't get anything back. Acts 10.42, he ordered us to preach to the people solemnly and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge as judge of the living and the dead. That's Jesus. Romans 2.16, on the day when according to my gospel... It's interesting, this event is included in the gospel, as it were. According to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. God will judge. 
Romans 14, 9, For to this end Christ died, lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? You, again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we, that's us believers, the church, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself. An account of himself. I don't know if that word makes you nervous. It makes me nervous. We're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to give an accounting of our life. What we've done, how we've lived, what we've accomplished, uh, what we've sacrificed. There will be an accounting. Ephesians 6, 8, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord. He will receive this back from the Lord a hundredfold. Psalm 62, 12, and loving kindness is yours, O Lord. You recompense. You recompense a man according to his work. According to his work, Proverbs twenty four twelve. If you say, see, we did not know this. Does not he consider it who weighs the hearts? Does he not know it who keeps your soul? Will he not render to man according to his work? Will he not render to man according to his work? Romans 2, 6. Who will render to each person according to his deeds? His deeds. 1 Corinthians 3, 8. Now he who plants, he who waters are one. Each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Each one of us will receive our own reward, our own pay, our recompense according to what we've done with our life. 1 Corinthians 3.13, each man's work, each man's work will become evident the day, that's the day we stand before Jesus. The day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. That reward is eternal. If any man's work is burned up, why would your work be burned up? Well, I expect that it's stuff like going fishing. Not a sin, but not much eternal value there. And thus I take uh, Jim McCain with me and, and lead him to Jesus while we're fishing um, or whatever. But we do a lot of things that are not bad, but they're not eternal in nature. They get burned up. He will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. There's some people, everything that they've ever done with their life from the time they've been a believer till the time they enter heaven will be burned up. They will enter heaven with not a single reward, none whatsoever. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, that without partiality. Revelations twenty-two twelve. Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Job thirty-four eleven. For he pays a man according to his work, makes him find it according to his way. Surely God will not act wickedly, and the Almighty will not pervert justice. So one of the things that's a question. Let's suppose uh, Bill Schutzman lives a life of 99% devotion, dedication to Jesus, gives up hours and hours of time, hundreds and thousands of dollars, witnesses and teaches and invests his life totally and completely for Jesus. And then there's someone else, I won't name any names, but they don't do much. Uh, they occasionally read their Bible, haphazardly uh, do that. They come to prayer meeting occasionally. Their church attendance is sporadic. They don't give a whole lot. 
because they have something to do with it all. They don't have time to serve or to do anything, uh, teach Sunday school, junior church, or anything of that sort. And so they're both saved, not saved by works. They both enter into heaven. They're both going to hear the trumpet when the rapture occurs. So is that fair? Really? Is it just that they would be treated alike once they enter into glory, having lived lives that are totally different on the basis of their sacrifice and their devotion to him? Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the result of his deeds. Jeremiah 32.19, great in counsel, mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, giving to everyone according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Number six, the death of Jesus, his blood shed for our sins, his, his blood shed for our sins, our justification by faith apart from works of righteousness saves us from an eternity of paying for our own sins. Saves us from an eternity of paying for our own sins in the lake of fire, but it does not make us equal in eternity. So did you know that there are lots of Christians running around if you ask them the question, when we get to heaven, are we going to be equal? And they will say, yeah. So my question would be, where do you get that? Do you know a verse in the Bible that would suggest such a thing? And is that just, is that fair from a God who is the God of justice and fairness? that radical difference in the way we live our life, we would enter into glory and be equal. I understand that Jesus paid the price of my sin and saved me from an eternity in the lake of fire, but did that blood, did that death, did that justification make us equal? And my answer to that question is no. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 40, there are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. The glory of the heavenly is one, the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. Star differs, notice that word differs, differs from star. Now you can do a cursory study of studying stars and you can find out that some are huge and some are little, some are bright and some are very dim. Star differs from star and glory, so also is the resurrection of the dead. There'll be a huge difference in us when we enter into glory. Matthew nineteen twenty eight. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the re regeneration, when the Son of God, Son of Man, will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or farms for my sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Speaking of this life, those who have big incomes and nice houses and uh, five boats and 22 fishing rods uh, up here in this life and the next very well could be last. But the point is that there will be someone in glory in heaven in eternity that's first. Paul said if you're in a race, run it to win. His goal was to be first, not because he wanted to be ahead of anybody, but because he wanted to be closest to Jesus.
and somebody will be dead last. I don't uh, anticipate that I'm going to be first, but I sure don't want to be last. In fact, I, I want to be within waving distance of Jesus. I want to be conversational different distance from Jesus. Number seven, God is just and fair in character. The death of Jesus pays for our sins, but it does not make up for our apathy, our lack of character, and our lack of accomplishments for him. That's a good statement to circle. That would be a good one to put on a plaque and put in your kitchen to be reminded of every day. God is just and fair in character. That's the way he is. The death of Jesus pays for our sins. It gets us in the door. But it does not make up for our apathy, our lack of character, our lack of accomplishments for him. It's amazing to me how many people are surprised by that. Uh, There's a naive kind of belief in grace uh, that it just takes care of everything. Genesis 18.25, Far be it from you to do such a thing to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So God deals justly. He'll deal justly with us. Deuteronomy 32.3, For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are just. God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Psalms 58, 11, and men will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. There is a reward for the, the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges, who judges on earth. Jesus in John 4, 34 makes this statement, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. His work. He was given a, a, an assignment by the Father and he accomplished it. John 17, 4, I glorified you on the earth praying to the Father, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Great question to ask myself. Have I accomplished the work that God has given me to do? Am I close? Am I going to get her finished before I die? I wonder what it's going to feel like to get to heaven and to see the list and all the things that didn't get done that God had assigned to my life to accomplish in my lifetime. 1 Corinthians 13 Uh, 3 again, uh, chapter 3, verse 13. Each man's work will become evident. The day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he's built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. He shall suffer loss. Still in heaven, still has a glorified body, but he himself will be... uh, and he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. Number eight, God is just and fair in character. The inequities in this life will be made just at the judgment seat of Christ. So, Job, we've been looking at Job. Mike has been preaching, Pastor Mike's been preaching through the book of Job. Job was, uh, uh, all his family was killed. Everything he owned was destroyed. He got a sickness that was awful and terrible. Nothing was left. We don't know how many days that lasted. I've lived a perfect, uh, a, a life relatively free from suffering. I've had a few little incidences, but compare me with Job, and if we call Job a hundred in suffering, I'm going to be about a five. 
So I live life, he lives life, you live life, we all live life, and there's incredible amounts of what you might call injustice, inequity, and what we have experienced for no apparent reason. Job, why did he go through what he went through? Didn't do anything wrong, just the deal that he made with the devil just happened. But it's obvious that what he went through was more than many others go through. Uh, me and you, we have great differences. So when we get to the end of the race, we stand before Jesus, those inequities are going to be made up. And so the point is, we live life that's short, a blink of an eye, and we're going to be in heaven for all of eternity. And so, Paul, let me read this to you again. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things, everything in life to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I've suffered the loss of all things. And count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Fellowship of his sufferings. I would suffer like he suffered, being conformed to his death in order, in order, in order that I may obtain to the resurrection. That's the super-resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold for that which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. I press on. That means I give it everything I've got toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 18. Here's a great verse. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. The sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that we will receive because of that suffering. 1 Peter 4, 3. But to the degree, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of his glory, that's when he comes and we stand before him, you may rejoice. Because the more we have suffered in this life, the more glory we will receive in the next. Everything washes out at the judgment seat of Christ. Everything uh, comes to an even level at the judgment seat of Christ. Number nine, there are many rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. But the one that motivated Paul the most was being near Jesus for eternity. So I've identified seven rewards, specific ones. They all start with a P, and I'm only going to give you one tonight. And this is the one that's driving Paul in this passage. So the reward is what I call position. That is, what's your relationship to Jesus? Are you at his right hand? First, second, third. When Jesus was living here on the planet Earth, there was one individual that was closer to him than any other. He was called the Beloved, the Apostle John. He was the one whom Jesus on the cross said, take care of my mother. And then there was the three, Peter, James, and John. They got to go to the Mount of Transfiguration. They got to go places that none of the others did. Then there were the eleven. 
Then there were 70 that got sent out in pairs to be missionaries. Then there was the 120 that got invited to go to the upper room on the day of Pentecost. They were there. They were there for uh, 10 days. Then there were the 500 that Jesus made a point of appearing to with his resurrected body. So you might say there was these spheres of relationship with Jesus. There was John closer than anybody. Peter, James, and John in the inner circle, the 11 that called apostles. They went every place that Jesus went. The 70 that had a special uh, training and assignment to go out as missionaries. The 120 in the upper room. The 500 that got to witness the resurrected body of Jesus. And then beyond that, what was true of Jesus on the planet Earth will be true in eternity. There will be these concentric circles, as it were, of relationship with Jesus. Um, and that's what was motivating Paul. I'll read again Philippians 3 or part of it. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. That I may gain Christ. He's talking about the reward at the judgment seat of Christ and how close he will be to Jesus after the judgment. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, did you know that the uh, seven churches in Revelations 2 and 3, uh, that every one of them has the promise to the one who overcomes? And overcoming is not a requirement to, to be saved. Uh, the word overcome is the Greek word Nike. It's the, where the Nike shoes come from. It means to be a champion, a winner. And so there's promises to the overcomers in the book of Revelation to the seven churches. There's probably a minority of believers, those who are going to heaven, a minority of believers who will be in the overcomer category. And in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, that's an invitation to lukewarm Christians. That's the church of Laodicea. He says, I wish that you were hot or cold because you were lukewarm. I'll spit you out of my mouth. And so in that same church, he makes an invitation to them. He says, I stand at the door of your life. This is not a salvation verse. This is a communion verse. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come into him, will dine with him, and he with me. That's relationship. And then he goes on and says, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He was an ear. Pay attention to what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a reward for those who are overcomers, winners, champions. They get to sit with Jesus on his throne. That's what Paul wanted. He said, I'm giving up everything in life for the purpose of gaining Christ. That is the greatest reward that there is. Nothing else in life compares with that one thing. Number 10, most followers of Jesus are not very motivated by the judgment seat of Christ. I've taught this topic numerous times, and I get people saying, you know, all I care about is just getting to heaven. And I understand that that's a great place to be compared with the lake of fire, but the difference between just getting in and the rewards that he will be offering are huge. And to simply live life comfortably with no drive, no passion, no, no goals, uh, just because you're in, 
but that's where many, many believers, especially in our country, are at. They're not motivated, which is what was the intent to be with this uh, truth, is to motivate us to live our life uh, with the metal to the pedal, the pedal to the metal, however you say that. Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Number 11, it's obvious from this passage that Paul was very focused on his eternal relationship with Jesus. Just the way he writes this thing, I mean, it was a big deal to him. He was highly motivated by it. I'll just read it to you one more time. Maybe uh, you might be motivated to memorize this passage. I've just finished memorizing it. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ, may be found by him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, be conform, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, resurrection, super-resurrection, being greatly rewarded. Not that I have already obtained it or I have already become perfect. I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was also laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward, uh, to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, that's intense living. Twelve, to the degree that we know Jesus in this life, we will know him in the next. <clears throat> Question might be, okay, I want to gain Christ like Paul. I want to be close to him. I want to be sitting uh, within conversation, listens. How do I do that? Get close to him now. Uh, know him well now, get close to him now, and then when you step into glory, the relationship with you, that you have with him now will be the same. But if the relationship you have with him now is sort of, uh, you know, hi, Jesus, you sing songs, and you read the word, but it, there's not much real zeal to serve him. Philippians 3, 7 through 8, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss, Jeremiah 9.23, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him, boast, let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. 13, the command to seek the Lord is all through the Bible with great blessings attached with no greater blessing being than our closeness to him for all eternity. So the command is repeated over 50 times in the Bible, seek him with all your heart. And in most references, there's a reward attached. No reward is as great as the reward we will receive when we enter into heaven and we have a relationship with him that's intimate because we have a relationship with him now that's intimate. Deuteronomy 4.29, but from there you will seek the Lord your God. You will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. Passive seeking doesn't work. Psalms 9.10, those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalms 27.8, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. 
Psalms 34, 10, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger. They who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Psalm 63, 1, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I shall seek you earnestly. So how do you seek him earnestly? You spend time with him in prayer. You read his word you examine your life, confess all known sin to him because that creates a barrier between him. You gather with the people of God. Uh, you worship him. Uh, you serve him. And just the basic disciplines of the Christian life. Seek him with all of your heart and you will find him. That's not a passive, uh, occasional, easy kind of life. It's one that's devoted to him because we love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And the devotion we have with him now will carry that rut with us. And uh, so you think about it. What will it feel like to be, I don't know how many people are in the church from the day of the uh, Pentecost till the day of the rapture. We're talking, you know, thousands of people that have been saved over the years that will all be part of the body of Christ. And there's going to be the inner circle and then there's going to be those on the outside. Probably it's going to be big enough so that those on the outside are going to be in Fargo, North Dakota. I don't know where that'll be, but it's not going to be close relationship with Jesus. So Paul wanted that, willing to consider everything in life rubbish in view of the surpassing value of gaining Christ, of knowing him intimately. It's a good question to ask ourselves regularly. How close am I to Jesus? How important is my relationship to him? How much does the judgment seat of Christ motivate me in this life? Or am I one of those that are simply content with getting in? Um, God intends us to live our life on fire, fully devoted to him. The judgment seat of Christ is intended to be an everyday motivation. We must all stand before him and give an account. And... Uh, He's going to check our list to see if we accomplish the work he gave us to do. I'm going to accomplish mine and some of yours as well. Uh, probably not, but I'm going to work at it. I'm going to work at it. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for all that you have done for us. You saved us. You've given us a gift that's free without cost or obligation. And we can be apathetic and we can be lukewarm and we can live our life doing nothing for you. That's the freedom that we have as followers of you. You don't require anything. But Lord, you expect it and you desire it. And someday we will stand before you at the judgment seat of Christ and we will be held accountable for what we have done as those who have received a free gift of eternal life, who have been forgiven of everything, whom your son paid an incredibly high price to pay for our sins. Lord, I would think it would be so embarrassing to get to heaven with nothing. I pray that we would be highly motivated as we live our life to serve you, to please you, and we would want to hear when we stand before you someday to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And uh, Lord, stir our hearts so that that's the case. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.